0: Welcome to the Global Challenge podcast hosted by the Leeds Institute of Textiles and Color, or LITAC as we have abbreviated it to. We have created this podcast series to shine a light on some of the research that is happening at LITAC and to provide some insights into what we can collectively do to address the pressing challenges that we are all facing. By doing this, we want to break down some of the big challenges and provide some perspectives on research and innovative solutions for the benefit of our society. In this podcast, we will be discussing the role of textiles in healthcare, looking at how textiles can make an impact on to patients, healthcare providers and the industry. More specifically, we will explore how textiles are employed in the clinic for the treatment of chronic wounds which are skin wounds that are unable to self-repair and that are a real burden to the NHS and the healthcare providers worldwide. So my name is Giuseppe Tronci. I am an Associate Professor in Healthcare Materials at the University of Leeds. And I will be discussing this topic with Dr. Begonia Alkacher-Pietarch, who is a clinical lecturer and healthcare professional at Shabel alton Hospital in Leeds. Dr. Graeme Howling, who is Senior Innovation Manager with Medipex Limited. And Dr. Charles Broken, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Leeds. Good afternoon everyone. So, Begonia, perhaps, can you give us a healthcare perspective of what chronic wounds are and why they are so important in the society at the moment. Yeah, sure. Good
1: afternoon, everyone. So basically, if we go to the basics of what what happened through the wound healing process, a normal wound as such will go through four phases and is what we call the homeostasis phase, inflammatory phase, proliferation and remodeling. And there is a period of time attached to it. It depends on the type of wound and how it's been produced, but within it, it has a healing process within a standard time. We start considering that wound is a chronic wound when it starts getting to week four or week six and it has not healed. Then between this timeline is where clinicians start considering that the wound becomes chronic and it's not responding to specific treatments. So treatment becomes really important in this case. Because these wounds have an impact not only to the patient in the aspect that it has an impact on their health and also on the quality of life, but also it has a financial cost. And knowing the problems that we have financially with health providers in general is certainly very important that we need to consider this as well. Chronic wounds have been determined to cost around 20 billion per year in the United States and around 5 billion cost to the NHS in the UK, we can see that they has a, a big impact financially as well to the cost to the NHS. Now, where textiles really play a role for us from the point of view of clinicians and how do we use the textile world in terms of dressings? We have a specific wound dressings and we utilize with different properties and they are being utilized to aid the healing and stop this chronicity of the wound. And here is where textiles play a big role because depending on the stage of the wound healing and what properties the wound requires for it to heal and progress properly through those four stages that we mentioned before, we will require different types of dressings. And here is where I think textiles can bring quite a lot of innovation.
0: Thank you very much, Begonia. You have outlined uh, why textiles are so important in terms of the management of the wound. And you've also mentioned that textile-based products are routinely used in the clinics. But obviously, we see that wound management is still a burden in the NHS and worldwide. So can you describe what are the main limitations of these products in order for us to shine light of how next-generation development can address these challenges better?
1: One of the biggest challenges we have, first of all, is the fact that there is very little evidence behind the efficacy of these dressings. So what we find is that there is a lack of high-quality trials in wound care in general. This causes the problem that the clinicians, they are unsure about the optimal treatments. So which dressing have better efficacy for certain stages of the wound healing. You always tend to see that the numbers of the trials that are published is very small numbers. And the design of the study is not high quality. This then leaves us with kind of not knowing exactly what dressing would be the best or telling us in more clarity, what dressing would aid different stages of the healing. We know the basics of it. You would have certain dressings that would would work better for infection, for example, and then you choose that, or if there is more pain. But we're still having these problems where we need more development with those dressings that will control or maybe determine when an infection is present, because it's not only going to aid the clinician, but also it will aid the patient when they are at home changing the dressing where they can tell that the wound is changing the pH due to an infection, for example, and then they can contact us early so we can intervene in an earlier stage.
0: It's really good to hear that we need more clinical trials because we at the university and the LIDAC, we are trying to push new technology for healthcare and patient use. So it's good that there is a push from healthcare prof- professionals in order to test these new technologies into humans, and also to know that we need better specifications of what we want to achieve from each trial in order to generate opportunities for new product development and translation. And you also mentioned about pain, that these boots are a highly painful to the patient so how do you normally go about pain management with current textile products?
1: So pain is another issue how do we remove the dressings and the adherence of the dressing to the wound bed that it could disrupt the healing if it adheres to it and by all means the usability. Of these dressings. That's another issue that we tend to have. How well the dressing conforms to the wound area as then it reduces the pain and it also is more in contact with the wound bed to aid the healing in itself. How we use dressing in here for reduction of pain, in reality, we don't have many dressings that they target the local pain in itself, so releasing any analgesia or anything like that. However, you know if you leave a wound that requires more moisture through the healing process and it becomes really dry, that might be a case where it will produce more pain. Or if you choose the wrong dressing and the dressing adds to the wound, When you're gonna remove the dressing, it might then end up creating certain pain. However, most of these wounds, you they would present with pain. And currently, the main use is analgesia, so they'll use like you know systemic drugs to be able to control the pain. And this also exposes the patient to the consumption of higher numbers of analgesia. Where if we could develop dressings that we could control the pain more locally, maybe we would find that there is a big reduction in oral or systemic analgesia, which would be a benefit overall for the patient.
0: Okay, that's really touching on some specific functionalities that the textiles should have, for example, in terms of the localized release of drugs. We can talk about the technical design of these textiles with Charlie, with Dr. Broker who is an expert in textile material development for healthcare. So, Charlie, can you give some perspective on why the textile structure and architecture is so beneficial for wounds and what are the current trends of development in this space?
2: Much of the research and development currently going on builds off of textiles because textiles have a great structure or architecture for wound healing. So, they have a fibrous structure a porous structure, and that means they have the ability to absorb excess wound exudate, so that's very important in these exuding wounds, as you mentioned. At the same time, these dressings can keep the wound bed environment moist, which is ideal for encouraging the progression of wound healing. In terms of the current developments, there's lots going on in this space. We've seen the rise of electronic textiles or e-textiles, which you may have seen in wearable technology over the last 10 years or so so we have smart watches and smart clothes that monitor activity and these could be adapted to produce smart diagnostic textiles that provide continuous physiological monitoring of a wound and that may cut down number of trips to a clinic so that will save on cost as well and you know we don't have to stop with these relatively straightforward things there's a the self-tying shoes from Back to the Future 2 they exist now in real life. They've been made. So why couldn't we have self-tying sutures or stitches? Why does the surgeon have to do that themselves? Why couldn't we have material that does that itself? And obviously currently it'll be due to cost, but this is why we need to do the research and development to get these things closer to actually being useful in a clinic.
0: So, obviously, we need more integrated functions in order to better manage wounds and reduce the costs of the the NHS by cutting down um, nursing time and the time spent by the patients at the clinic. I'm just recalling some of the other points that Begonia mentioned. She was raising the issue of antimicrobial resistance and infection control, where do you think we'll see some big developments in this space in the years to come?
2: In terms of antimicrobial resistance that Begonia mentioned, I think most people are aware of the threat that the antimicrobial resistance poses. Unfortunately, we can't just come up with new antibiotics. It's not that straightforward. It's time consuming. It's costly. You know, there are not enough antibiotics currently in development to keep pace with evolving bacteria. So it's important to develop new antibacterial strategies and find ways of breaking this resistance. In terms of research and development and material design, there have been a number of new innovations which have developed into antibiotic-free antimicrobial sex. So essentially these are ways of killing the bacteria without the need for antibiotics. So we remove any issue of misuse of antibiotics and we can deal with them without using antibiotics too frequently. Many of these innovations contain nanomaterials. They can interact very closely with the bacteria. In terms of how the antibacterial effect works, it's usually either a physical or chemical damage to the microbes, either occurring at their surface or just inside. So just to go through a couple of quick examples of what these sorts of nanomaterials are, we have silver nanoparticles, iron oxide nanoparticles and graphene oxide. And silver nanoparticles have probably received the most attention in recent years, and all of these materials have been incorporated into textiles and have been shown to have strong antibacterial effects. So this is where we are currently in terms of the research stage and potentially what's coming through in the near future.
0: Okay. Thank you, Charlie. That was very helpful. So obviously. By integrating these new functions and these new materials into textiles, we also need to be mindful of the manufacturing routes that we pursue because we obviously don't only want to make the prototype in the lab at a small scale. We also want to make sure that the manufacturing route we pursue is developed enough to be transferred to the industry And for scale up and development, I guess these developments that you have outlined are a different readiness level. Can you give us some perspective of what is more advanced towards the patient pathway and what needs more development and more research?
2: So just to talk about some of the work we're doing in Leeds, well, we have a number of different products or. Areas of research, and as you said, there are different stages of readiness. So the closest we are, I think we're putting together an application for a first in-human clinical trial. So that's one of the big steps before we can get into the clinic. In terms of other work we're looking at, we're looking at smart materials, materials that respond to external stimuli to produce a specific response. And there's all sorts of uses for this. This could be used in drug delivery. It could be used in tissue engineering scaffolds, but they could also be used in wind dressings.
0: How do you get then from the uh, uh, research that is developed in the lab to patients? What kind of steps do you have to undertake to progress the research forwards to towards human use?
2: Obviously, there are a number of steps before you go into the clinical trials. This is all just to minimize risk. so When you've come up with an idea, let's say you're producing a polymer, you'll want to characterize it first and foremost. Does it perform how you expect it to perform? You can conduct mechanical tests. If your material performs well in the mechanical tests, then you might want to check whether the material is cytotoxic, so not toxic to cells. And to do this, we'll first usually do in vitro tests. So that means we grow some cells in a lab and then we can conduct some relatively simple experiments to determine if the cells are happy to grow or if the material kills the cells or a portion of the cells. It's a good idea to conduct these tests alongside materials that are currently on the market. So for example, if we were producing a new wound dressing, we would conduct our mechanical tests as compatibility tests alongside a range of currently available commercial products. And then we would want to show that our new product has superior properties, either mechanically or in terms of wound healing, obviously ideally both. And then once you've done the in vitro tests, you might want to move on to the in vivo studies. So these are the animal studies. So in recent years, there's been a push to reduce the amount of animal testing conducted for obvious reasons, but in terms of gathering meaningful data, in vivo testing is more relevant to a real life environment. In the in vivo environment, in the animal, there's more sort of kinetics. There's more relevance to a human. Now. There's still unanswered questions from the in vivo study, and that's why afterwards you would move on to the clinical trial. But these are all of the steps you need before you get there.
0: Okay. That's really important. We are starting to understand the pathway to humans. And in order to progress this conversation, I would like to approach Graeme Howell as senior technology manager at Medipex. So, Graham, from your perspective, you have now been involved in multiple projects in order to enable uptake of new products into the clinic. What do you think the main challenges are for textile scientists to bring these prototypes to the clinic?
3: So the... Translational journey can be really complex, and it can take a great deal of time and effort. However, that shouldn't put researchers off uh, who have innovation ideas. Developing new textile technologies for medical use involves working with clinicians like Begonia, healthcare workers, engineers. The industry to get that technology closer to the clinic and and other people who have highly specialized skills such as regulatory, clinical trials, manufacturing and patients as well. You should also be working with patients to make sure that you're meeting their needs. Getting a product to market, a medical device, it's a highly regulated environment. As Charlie said, you need to do testing to make sure that you've addressed all the risks in the product. Charlie mentioned that you would start doing simple uh, lab testing, moving on to animal work, and then going into clinical trials. And I guess the big recent changes are the new regulations, which require a great deal more clinical data and clinical evidence before products can be put on the market. In the past, you might have been able to get a product on the market with relatively minimal clinical testing. Now, to get a new product on the market, you're going to have to do considerable clinical trials, and that increases the cost and the complexity of development. The regulations drive a lot of the work, and that regulatory work can be very expensive and complicated. Yeah, and I
0: think with that regard, we will start to see more uh, calls for this type of development work, where there is the possibility to build regulatory packages in the project to enable a successful completion. I would like to go back to Begon. You work at Chavel alton and you treat patients every day that are affected by multiple types of wounds. Can you give us some insight on how your clinic works in terms of patients management, with respect to the innovation and clinical trials?
1: We are very research active. Basically, my post consists of 50% research, 50% clinic. So the clinical work can inform the research that is needed and then the research that we develop can be introduced into clinic into a faster track because they are introducing it quicker and teaching others within the area. So basically, our aim in our clinic is obviously improve patient care, but in particular, we're focusing a lot on the development of new treatments for patients with connective tissue disorders and wounds. And at the current moment, we are doing a trial, NIH-funded, which is the SHED study. It's early stages of feasibility study, and we want to look at the efficacy of sharp debridement onto the wound bed and how that affects the healing process. Is it improving? Is it reducing infection? We don't know. As we were saying before, with regards to wound care treatment, there is little evidence out there. So this is the trial that's going, but also we're doing the trial where we want to test the HIFACOV.
0: We have developed a prototype based on collagen that we have successfully tested with cells and with animals. And now, working with the clinicians, Dr. Delgaldo, Gonia, and the rest of the team, we are targeting the clinical development of a with respect to the management of digital ulcers. These are uh, small scale ulcers that do not self heal. Working with clinicians. And healthcare professionals like Begonia is also important to develop the next phase of development of a technology. We discussed about pain management, we discussed about infection control. But having a clinical perspective in the team is definitely helpful in order to tailor the technology development towards defined goal needs. And with that regards, obviously, Graham was pointing out the need of regulatory expertise, but Gray, maybe you can give us some hints about what can we do in order to enable better engagement your perspective.
3: You need to know the market landscape and what products are on the market, how those have been regulated, how they're doing on the market, what your product is doing that's better than those products that are on the market. I think one of the important things is bringing on industry into the co-development of your product to make sure that you've protected any novel intellectual properties. If your developments show improvements over what's currently on the market, better patient outcomes, easier to use, lower cost, those sort of benefits, then industry will be interested in working with you and co-developing that product and bringing it on the market.
0: Yeah, that's actually another very important point you're raising is about intellectual property management and protection. These are things that need to be considered carefully by the researchers that are involved in this developmental research. Charlie, maybe you can give a sense of what your journey was to, to come where you are in terms of this technology that you are developing at LITAC, what's your experience of working in this multidisciplinary setting?
2: it's very exciting work, but it's very important that sort of at each aspect of the work, everyone's sort of in alignment and they know what's going on. So clinicians are incredibly important because you have a great idea, you know, maybe you'll to work in a wind dressing, you can increase the healing 20% quicker, for example. But do do they need that? Do they need it enough? Are they willing to change current procedures to introduce a new dressing? You know, are there enough of this sort of injury that was treating to make the product viable? Just because there's an unmet need doesn't mean that you have a viable product. These are all things you need to consider, but it's really communication sort of from all sides. So even if the clinicians may be happy with something, they will have an idea of what the patient wants. But until you talk to the patients and ask them what they want, they may have a completely different idea. And then again, if you want to commercialise it, you may talk to industry. And it's okay having something in a lab that can be manufactured in a lab, but the industry might say, Well, we can't scale this up to the production levels that you would require to make this commercial. So there has to be communication all the time uh, across all these different disciplines. And you have to Make sure that everyone's on board and has something that really can make a difference.
0: Did you have any issue with your technology under development and potential breach of disclosure? What was your experience with regard to these contrasting needs of protecting the technology but also enabling p- p- publication of your results?
2: So this is always a very difficult balance when you have to compete the interests of IP and the interests of research and getting publications. So obviously once you've protected something, then you can start to talk about it. So in the early stages, there'll be a lot of holding back on publishable work because it has to be, no one else can know about it until that point. And then you have to think about, is this potentially something that could be patented in the near future. If so, then you won't be able to talk about it or at least talk about it in an explicit way. So there are ways perhaps of creating content, creating papers within an area, perhaps discussing a review of, or a perspective of what could come forward without going into the details. But you're right, it is quite tricky to balance those two beating aspects.
0: Thank you, Charlie. So I think we've got quite an overview today of the different environments that we need to navigate through with respect to textile materials and products for healthcare. We have discussed about the clinical challenges, the technology development challenges in terms of regulations and industrial engagement. So with this in mind, I would like to thank you all for listening and to Begonia, Graham and Charles for participating in this podcast. Don't forget to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast so you don't have to miss the episode.